Geek. The podcast. The podcast. <laughs> I can't help myself. I can't. I feel like we have to. Like that's because it's what it is. We are a podcast. Exactly. I'm I'm Marley, and I've got here with me. I'm Steph. I'm Robert. Yeah, it's just us three tonight. I'm so excited to talk about um, Empower. Yeah, they kind of dropped this on us without like giving, at least I never saw advertisements Mm -hmm. or advertisements for it. Yes, on Disney Plus. And it's just like a little four episode feature, featurette. And I, I really enjoyed it overall. I thought it was a really good addition to the MCU and even just kind of fun of some of the fun, like behind the scenes things with Marvel. And also, uh, of course we should mention it was released on March 8th, which is international women's day. But part of, you know, national women's month or women's history month. So there is that. Yes. And so we, we thought um, it'd be a really good episode to, to talk about, you know, about these, these different episodes from Empower, as well as um, just about women in action films and, and different actresses and, and people that have, that have been in those. And, and of course, with Marvel, you know, we, we have a lot to talk about, and especially with the comics. So I'm, I'm glad that we have Robert here with us so he can help us with some of the comic parts because he is a lot more well-versed. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm also not going to stick just to Marvel on some of these, just because there are a lot of other strong female protagonists that we should, you know, consider and would be great to bring to the audience. So, absolutely, here we go. Yeah. Since we are talking Marvel at the get go, I do have to talk about it's the Oscars tonight, the night that we're recording, and it's just a damn shame that Angela Bassett lost Best Supporting Actress. But congrats to Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, but yeah. I was rooting for Angela Bassett from Black Panther because she's amazing. Yeah, no, for sure. But even, did you guys see everything everywhere all at once? Yes. Fantastic oh my gosh. Movie. Phenomenal movie. Oh, Steph, you would love it. I know. I need to it's, watch it. It's nothing like you think it would be. It's completely like, whoa. It's but hard, it's it's hard so to good. even think. It's like everything you think you might consider in it. It's like, yeah. nope. Just put all of that aside. Yeah. Yep. And and just enjoy it. It's a beautiful thing yeah. to watch unfold in front of you. And Jamie Lee Curtis was a lot of fun in that. She did so good. Yeah. I love movie. Michelle Yao. She was so great mm-hmm. in like Crazy Witch Asians, Crouching. She yeah, she did Crouching Tiger City Dragon. Yeah. Did she so, did she win Best Actress? No. Uh well, oh, have, I don't think they've announced Best Actress. Have they not? Uh, That's probably gonna be later in the show. Actress, yeah, are the usually the last ones. Oh, okay. I but, uh, for the first time am like not watching the Oscars. Isn't that weird? Wakanda Forever did win Best Costume Designed, which I, I think is very that. well deserved. Yes, definitely. Um, do you have the name of that person? Ruth Carter. Ruth Carter. Thank you, Robert. Um, she's the second. She it's her second Oscar, and she's the first black woman to ever win two mm-hmm. Oscars, which is well. Amazing. She's also the she also she's was also the first one, the first African American woman to win an Oscar for costume design as well. Mm-hmm. For which she won it for the first Black Panther. Oh, and in the first episode is about um, Wakanda for, but uh, I mean Black Panther and Wakanda <laughs> forever. I mean, um, the women they, of Wakanda. Yeah. Yes, they talk a little bit about the costume design and the representation that they have amongst, excuse me, all the women in it. 
um, from the different like African nations. And mm -hmm. that's really why I thought it was deserving of it. Like there's a lot of representation. It's really beautiful to see women with locks, women who are bald, women in different like clothing, like it, they did a really good job. I loved Denai Griera and it talked about how she, they went through like five or six, a bunch of different tattoos on her head mm -hmm. that she wanted to go through um, before deciding on the last one. And she honestly, Blake and I met her a few years ago at Vanex when she came for the walking dead good and show. she's just, <laughs> she's so tough and so cool. I just really enjoy her as an actress. I would love to meet her someday. Maybe, maybe when, if, if, and when she comes back to Fanex, I'll have to try and meet her as well. Um, or, or we could just try to get her on an age of geek podcast directly. Just denied. throwing that out there. Yes. yes. Um, so so just consider this our, 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 our oh, yeah. ask, not yeah. our beg, our ask for if anybody out there has, uh, <laughs> has an in with Miss Guerrera, tell her you would love to have her on the podcast. Yes, oh, definitely. So, and wasn't Ruth Carter, wasn't she in, she was in this episode of Empower, wasn't she? Mm -hmm. Yeah. She was. I remember, like, because I was trying to pay attention to the names, like, because obviously, like, the actresses, because we know their faces, because they're in the movies, and we know their names, they're a lot easier to recognize. But I, I really liked how they not only featured the actresses in each of these films, but they also showed the women behind the scenes the executive producers, the costume designers, the makeup artists, um, pr uh, production, of the set designers, editors, writers, like everybody, mm -hmm. every sort of role. They, I love that they included like the women who were on those as well, instead of just looking at the actresses, because sure, we like that. We like seeing the behind, um, you know, we like seeing the actresses like talking about their roles. I really did enjoy that part of it too. But it was also really awesome to see the other women that were involved in making the film. That was definitely one of my biggest takeaways, how uh, there was such an emphasis on having crew members that were strong women and um, have them be part of the process of creating these strong female protagonists. And hopefully in other film and movies as well. Like It shouldn't just be like... We have, a, we have a female lead. Let's have women be part of it. Because we know that that is not how the world works when it comes to men helping out on movies. So to, yeah, create this overall sense of equality, just like continuing to having a diverse set of people in the background. So good job for Marvel for yeah. starting that, like doing well, some of that stuff. And just having all those different voices. They talked about that a lot too, with, with how important it was to have all sorts of different voices at the table when it came to putting these films together. So, so that way it wasn't just one side or one group of people. It was a whole bunch of people coming to the table and offering up ideas and their insights and their intelligence, you know, and, and making a, an amazing film or TV show or whatever, you know, whichever part it was. Well, one of the other things that I appreciated about, especially the Black Panther episode was they talked about how the movie was, Black Panther, but it was also about all of the women around him, you know, mm -hmm. his mother, his sister, his general, the Dora, mm -hmm. Nakia, and how they all played very important roles independent of whatever he did. And in a lot of cases informed some of what he did as he, as the movie progressed and as he went from being, you know, just getting ready to be coronated to being the hero he was at the end of the movie. And I think that that 
speaks well to you know real life i mean women supporting men and that's not just supporting them but also being very important factors in being able to accomplish things that we do and i think that the reflection of that just showing that the leader of the military for wakanda is a woman and you know the their lead spy and love interest who basically is like wakanda has done all these wonderful things for Wakanda, Wakanda could do so much more and called him out repeatedly on, we can do more. And, you know, I, I could stay here, but I wouldn't be happy, you know, but, you know, we, and just Nakia's growth as well. And her, her character and her standing up to him is just like, I love you, but you're kind of dumb on this, on this point. Or even Shuri, who was just like, you know, the lead uh, scientist for Wakanda at, let's call it early twenties. And, you know, making all these advancements, respecting, I'm sorry, understanding the traditions, but going just because something has worked all this time doesn't mean that we can't make it better. And using science to inform, mm -hmm. using technology to inform her, um, moving the traditions forward, I think was really good. Yeah, all the women in that movie, yeah, made the Black Panther who he was. Um, and I love that they put these women I mean these women who are sisters wives mothers but still have their own power in those roles as well well and we saw that continued on in Wakanda forever mm -hmm. you know especially given that Chadwick Boseman passed away ugh, which still just is you know it just makes that film I think even more incredible and impactful because you know, they, they kind of had to change the tune a little bit. And I, I really liked Wakanda forever, you know, like, I feel like they really took what they could do with it, given the circumstances of, of losing their main actor. And they were able to show another side of Wakanda and we were able to see it farther. And it, I mean, that movie was all about the women of Wakanda. Um, and I loved seeing all those those different aspects. You know, we, we got a nice touch of them in the first movie, but then in the second movie, we got to see even more. And I think that's what made it really good. <laughs> in the comics, does Shuri ever take on the mantle of Black Panther? At least twice. Okay. So it's not, and it's not like a pull from the comics. Shuri became the Black Panther the first time, I believe, in the, I want to say it's the early 90s or or early to mid nineties um, during a run by, I, th I think it was Christopher Priest. I don't think it was the Reggie Hudlin run, but one of the two of them, and she became Black Panther then. There was a point in the not too distant past, like the past five or so years where she kind of took on the role again. Um, but then she was also imbued with other powers by the ancestors that she has retained and uses those to support her brother, despite the problems he is currently going through in the comics, which is he's the Black Panther in exile, basically. I might have to pick up some Black Panther books. The the Tanahisi Coates run uh, was interesting, but they also expanded that to the Galactic Empire of Wakanda, which was set in the future, set thousands of years in the future, and then mm -hmm. there was a time thing. It was it was. It could get a little distorting, a little weird there. But uh, the current run by John Ridley um, has seen Wakanda move to a constitutional monarchy. Um, and 
a lot of people have found that things that T'Challa has done have not been great. So they've kind of been oh, like, so you're out. You, you were the king. You're just a guy in a suit now. That's, that's so interesting too. Not like knowing the, um, the prominence of like Chadwick Boseman, you kind of can't see him being like a, like you just put him and T'Challa together. Mm -hmm. So picturing him as someone's like, didn't do the best things. You're just like, no, T'Challa, no. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> Say one thing I actually really liked about the episodes is the, in like the last 10, 15 minutes, they brought in real oh, people. A fan. Not that, not that actresses aren't, real people um but they brought in fans um that talk about this character and why it's so impactful for them and in the first black panther movie they brought in this dad with his two girls and they just talked about how amazing it is to see representation of people who look like them uh and it just it just made me tear up like a little a little bit i am emotional wreck on good days i cried at songs <laughs> the other day anyways but it just really goes to show and i've had this talk a lot with uh people how representation is so important how seeing women in roles like it is really important it's coming more and more common but it isn't always like so to have these diverse strong differing people and not just two-dimensional characters is really impactful especially for like our young daughters people who haven't been represented so i just thought that was really touching oh for sure well and i in the in the captain marvel episode i really like that one um a lot even though like captain marvel like i mean like she's a fun character like i i enjoy her but she's not like you know high on my list necessarily but I still really, there was a part in that episode that they talked about uh, her friendship with Maria Rambeau and how they, they purposely for that movie didn't want to make any sort of uh, male counterpart or like a love interest for Captain Marvel because they wanted to show that like, no, the love and like the friendship that she has for Maria is what she needs that's all that she needs is she just needed her friend and and you know they they grew up like together and they went to you know their fighter pilots together and they're just these two women supporting each other as friends and i think that was really important for them to point that out and just and to show that like no we didn't need we didn't need to have like that love interest in that side of the story or any like to um to show for Captain Marvel's uh, relationships. And I think, again, just showing how, um, again, just like back to the, the fighter pilots and how the women, you know, especially during that time, because like, I think that's supposed to be like, what, the 90s? 95. Yeah. And so it just, they weren't as, I don't know, popular or there just weren't as many or whatever. It's, it was kind of taboo a little bit for women to be like part of the military, you know, it's definitely changed nowadays. To, specifically in this episode, for the movie to be set in 95, uh, they had the first female fighter pilot. Uh, they interviewed her in the episode as well, who's now a general in the Air Force. Yeah. But she was, she became the first female combat fighter pilot in 1993 in the air force so it wasn't just that it was taboo it was just like it wasn't even a thing yeah so by the time in movie time by the time that carol comes back to earth there had only been a handful mm -hmm. of female fighter combat fighter pilots at that point before then it had just been you know non-combat missions and test pilots and yeah. that's it 
So yeah. getting to see Carol as a test pilot was was good. The fact that they actually had her in a plane and showed her you know, that she was capable, if not more than capable, of handling herself in in a fighter plane or in a in a test plane. But having, as you mentioned, the, the relationship with Monica as a as a loving friend and who was also in the same you know combat or the fighter wing with her mm-hmm. i think that having them have the, have that shared experience was also good to see that and they were supportive of each other in that even when you know carol was off being carol before she ever you know became veers in that yeah. in that movie well and they they even mentioned in the episode that after captain marvel came out there was that was that 2018, 2018. 19, 18, that in real life, female enrollment in the um, the Air Force um, increased by like 50 percent mm-hmm. after Pretty seeing cool. that movie. And I, I think that's I think that's awesome because I I could never be in the military like I, I commend <laughs> anyone who who joins the military because that would be really, really hard. And especially for, I think it's especially for women. It's it's not easy. I just looked it up and this is a 2022 poll. I don't record, but female control, female combat pilots, 2% and 98% male in 2022 is the statistic. And then uh, pilots for like uh, domestic flights, 71% male, 29% female. Oh, wow. So still, still a big uh, difference in the demographic. Yeah, for sure. And I think, uh, and we talk about this in our episode, our cutscenes and cupcakes episode on um, Horizon Forbidden West, about how there's for Aloy who saves the universe for the second time at least. There's a few different love interests that you could go towards, but they specifically chose not to have her have a love interest because it's more important to show the friendship that she grows and the family that she gets to choose herself and the importance of those relationships. And uh, I mean, obviously romance and love, like that type of love is important, but I feel like we are showing different types of families, different types of people. And that is super important as well. Any, anything else about the Captain Marvel episode or should we talk about um, Wanda? Let's talk Wanda. Let's talk Wanda. (laughs) Um, I want to just right off the bat, I, I really liked this episode too. Because, I mean, I liked all of them, I'll be honest, but I liked it because um, they, they went into quite, quite a lot of detail actually talking about WandaVision and how, you know, the, the writers and everybody who was involved with making that um, TV show and how they decided to make it because they wanted to show a side of Wanda, like they wanted to show who she really is. And so we got to see her like, sure, she was in the middle of the grief process, which is how they like did each of the episodes. They like went through the entire grief process, but like they wanted to show like that this woman, even though she has such great power, she also has feelings. She is hurt. She feels lost. And, and just being able to see her as a woman figure things out, um, even though, she might not have done it in the best way by holding an entire town captive, but <laughs> but it was still like good to like it was important to see that side of her. I think it was Elizabeth Olsen. It might have been Catherine Hahn who says like close to the end of the episode that this could have been a story about female hysteria, and instead they changed it into like a mental health story. Yeah, which is really cool. I really like that because 
I mean, hysteria back in the day was a thing that people got hospitalized for, that they got lobotomized for, they got shocked. That, so like it was a it was a big thing. And it's all in this like mantle of mental health and people will just talk about the emotional women, hysterical women, women who are too loud and or talk like, and instead, and not look at it as a journey through figuring out where your mental health is. So I, I don't know. I just, I really like that because yeah, she did mm -hmm. things that were not right, that were controversial, but she was suffering. Not that that makes it okay. And everyone has a journey to go through. And of course it was mm -hmm. phase four and that's just the, well, the depression was, stage. Well, and she was the start of it. She was mm -hmm. the start of phase four. So we got hit right off the bat with like, Hey, here is, here is a character that you know from previous films. And now we're seeing this, like I, was, I said just a second ago, like we're seeing now this side of her and we're seeing her go through her struggles and in a more, um, you know, like a closer light. And, um, and then into this woman who we see, you know, even later on in Multiverse of Madness, which... I still feel like I, that movie, Multiverse of Madness, is a totally different subject, I feel like, but I struggle with that one a little bit because I feel like they did, like, kind of had her go off, I feel like, I feel like they kind of had her go off the rails a little bit because she did, she did learn and grow a lot from WandaVision, and then all of a sudden she's, like, completely Back at ground zero. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's just kind of my observation. I might be wrong, but. Well. I'm going to apologize first for not having seen the the Scarlet Witch episode of Empower, but <clears throat> I thought that it was a fascinating choice, and maybe they talked about this in the episode, how they chose to convey something as strong and powerful as grief and going through the different stages of grief mm -hmm. through comedy, which in and of itself would have been difficult, but then to go through seven different forms of comedic um, interpretation and go through not just her grief, but then every episode changing how they're mm -hmm. portraying that grief through comedy, yeah. you know, going from like it's the fifties and then moving it forward to, you know, like modern family style humor and, and kind of situational comedy. That was a very bold choice to start with and could have been very dangerous because it could have gone a comedic retelling a comedic telling of how she's dealing with her grief to satire or even just caricature and they did a very good job of maintaining a a solid through line with it being comedic on the edges i think mm -hmm. and here's where i admit that i've never watched wandavision oh my i know <laughs> i i feel like i have like i i feel i will I don't know if I'll eventually watch it. I was about to say I will, but who knows? But I feel like I know the story, especially after watching Multiverse of Madness. Um, uh, I miss yeah. it and then watching this. Like, I have a gist. I have a gist of it. It's a gist. But you don't, you don't get to see the journey. And it's, it's really watching her make the journey through her grief every episode because it was like, like as we you know, kind of thought at the end of uh, Endgame, she was at one place and then we discover she is not there and her journey to get to as marley said okay by the end of wandavision and then off the rails again at the beginning of multiverse of madness i don't think that that's necessarily i don't think they they handled that incorrectly 
I think that that was part of her exposure to the dark hold. I was actually just going to bring that up. So thank you for bringing sure. that up. And yeah, I think that, that, it, I think that yeah. it was basically, she, she now has the power to change everything and to fix everything because she realizes her world has literally been shattered because she has lost over the course of at that point, well, five years, her, her brother, mm-hmm. her de facto, I guess, common law husband for all intents and purposes. Um, and then to hear the voices of children that she never had, but they're you know, calling out to her as mom. Um, and unfortunately, uh, Ty isn't here to go into the whole Mephisto aspect of that because that's an entirely <laughs> different kettle of fish. Oh my gosh. But, but I think that after the time that she spent with the Darkhold and learning its secrets and realizing you know, the power and what she can do, and there is basically nobody that can really stop her from doing what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's going from, I think it's going from acting out of ego to straight id. I have an impulse. I can act on it and I'm going to act on it. And there's nothing you can do about it. And to no stop one can me. stop me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that despite her seeming to get through her grief at the end of WandaVision, we saw, you know, what we'll see on like commercials is I put on the happy face so that nobody sees how depressed I am and just walk away and she seemed to get away scot-free for holding a town hostage forever long she was there right but you know we realize she has created this perfect little bubble for herself that nobody can get to her unless she allows it nobody can find her unless she allows it and she makes a perfect place for her to kind of come to terms with things while she's figuring out how can i fix this in fix in quotes but how can i make it better for me and not really worry about what anybody else thinks or does well i mean we've been praising marvel a lot i will say that i think one of the biggest reasons i haven't wanted to watch wandavision is i hate the trope of older men with much younger women and i know that there's a whole thing with vision not being human whatever but there's a 20 year different 17 year difference between paul bettany and elizabeth olsen and i think that's a trope that we get stuck into all the time and we don't necessarily see the reciprocal of it unless it's mocking that or making it about cougars and i really it's a trope that i feel really needs to die (laughs) so i need to get over myself and just watch it except that the world isn't perfect but and I like, I love Paul Bettany. He's a great actor. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Olsen has shown her acting chops. Oh, like sh- she's great. Mm-hmm. But I think you'd appreciate her acting chops in oh, yeah. in WandaVision. Oh, for Just sure. how she how she comports herself in each of those uh, scenarios. Decades. Yeah, for sure. And Catherine Hahn too. I, oh, I I've always enjoyed her in movies too. I think I think she is great. Catherine Hahn's um, lovely. Yeah, I'm excited I, to see her in the Agatha Harkness uh, show. Mm-hmm. show not not movie mm-hmm. i sometimes I'm, i keep getting them mixed up <laughs> but either way um yeah no that one that one was really was really good too um so then the last one gamora i man i i feel like this is the one that i teared up at teared up while watching and that's because like i i i liked hearing like zoe Saldana and um well, I mean, they did it throughout each of the episodes, really, but they, they would, um, each of the main actresses, they would share kind of a little bit about their upbringing and what brought them to acting, as well as like 
being able to like kind of get into the role that they that they were able to portray in these Marvel shows. But um, I don't know. I just they're each of them like they were just like I I found that they were really touching and I really liked you know each of them and hearing where they came from as well as being able to uh, have someone to look up to and kind of backing up. Sorry, wait, I forgot in Captain Marvel they they showed um, Imani. Uh, Iman Vellani. Iman Vellani, thank you. I'm like, she's mm-hmm. the girl who played Ms. Marvel, which that is a good one too. If you haven't watched that one, Steph, you need to watch that one as I well. I haven't watched that one yet. But it's, it's, that one was really fun because like, again, you just, you see these, you know, these young girls and like, they are just looking for someone, a superhero to look up to and to be able to relate with. And I, I really enjoyed hearing each of the actresses talk about how they could see like as they were making the films and learning more about these characters, they could see themselves in them and could relate to them. And it just made the experience even that much more um, impactful for them. I had a bone to pick with this episode. Karen Gillan was talking about Nebula, talking about the Mm. depth of her character, talking about how she just wanted to have a sister and how she was destroyed. Um, And it was really, and then she's like, and I just don't think that's something that's explored in superhero characters very much or something to that effect. And like, come on, Karen Gillan, like we are talking, like there's a lot of superhero characters with depth. It just kind of went to show that maybe she doesn't know the material as well. Or she just relates to her character, which is fine. But I'm just like that. I don't think that's true. So that was my little bone. Although I did think she was charming in the rest. Everything else she said, she was super cute and super charming. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how they pointed out that she's a super different person than the character that she plays. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> well, and I liked how she talked about how Zoe Saldana like helped her. Um, especially given Zoe's background in dance. Yeah. And how she was able to really... Um, like the fight scenes were a lot easier for her. And so she like kind of mentored and helped Karen Gillan like get to that point. And again, it's just, it's, you're seeing females helping females. And I think that's like, that's awesome to, to see that. Like she wanted to see her succeed in the film as well. The point that I teared up a little bit was a uh, little Gamora. I don't know her name. Off the yeah. top of my head. Oh, she yes. Was, she just, she was talking and she's like, I came on set and I saw Zoe and she was intimidating and demanding and powerful. And then, and I'm not going to cry now, although I'm thinking about it. Uh, and she's just like, and I'm like that too. And it just made me so happy that mm-hmm. she can own those characteristics that normally young girls like aren't supposed to, they're not supposed to be powerful or intimidating. Um, but this girl who was eight years old when she started this character was just like, that's me. And that's who I want to be. And it was mm-hmm. very cute. And plus how she added to that, like Zoe, like came over to her and was like, you know, so excited and like loving and kind and like happy to have her there. And like, just was so welcoming, you know, Ariana so, Greenblatt. There we ah, go. Yes. She's adorable. So, and it was at the end too, they had a woman who was, and I don't think she was born with, she was born without an arm. So she's not an amputee oh. um, that way. I'm what they called it limb, di- limb difference or something like that. And she talked about Nebula and her mm-hmm. body and her like bionic body and how that was so empowering to her having a prosthetic and to see a superhero who at one point even cuts off, cuts off her own hand so that she can do what she needs to do. And that was really, mm-hmm. it, it was really cool. Yeah, no, I, I really, I liked, again, like I really liked seeing these 
quote unquote real people <laughs> these fans talk about how um how these characters impacted them and helped inspire them and i don't think i realized like i think i knew zoe saldana was badass but i don't think i really realized how she's the lead in avatar which is one of the biggest mm. selling uh, franchises movies. yeah franchises of all time um she's done a lot of sci-fi and action in her life gamora is definitely not her only claim to fame well and it, i i there was a note that I had made I wanted to make sure I remembered to bring up. I really liked how Zoe Saldana, in regards to her different roles as in, in different like action films and, you know, leading roles like that. For her, she's like, I wasn't playing the girlfriend anymore. Because in a lot of her previous films, she was just the girlfriend. Mm -hmm. um you know just someone on the side essentially and so she's like no and like so finally I'm playing I'm playing a woman I'm playing a strong powerful woman and someone you know in in various films who can fight and who can do things and take care of herself and so I I liked I liked hearing her say that well to take it to keep it with Zoe Saldana but to move it to shift it a little bit in a to a different franchise even she did a movie about 10 or 15 years ago for DC called The Losers, where she was, let's just kind of go mercenary. And she did wind up being the girlfriend of another, one of the other um, characters, but she was also very um, independent in her own right and was very um, self-assured of what she could and couldn't do. And she had her own agenda that became apparent later in the movie. But not only that, but if you look at her in Star Trek, even, um, Uhura didn't have the biggest role in the first Star Trek movie in Into Darkness, not much again. But by the time they got to Star Trek Beyond, the third movie, um, her skills as a, as a xenolinguist uh, came to play in making, um, in understanding what had happened to Captain Edison's crew and, you know, their disappearance and resolving that and yes she did she was spock's significant other in that timeline but she she was able to stand alone and stand up on her own and you know she worked beautifully independently of anyone else and i was wrong she did have something in the first movie where she was able to translate a dialect of klingon that wound up getting the crew of the enterprise aware of the um the Narada and its attack on uh, Vulcan. Sorry, I st I'll stop nerding now. No, you're <laughs> fine. I, I was going to go into just, I think like the first TV show that I ever saw, not that I ever saw, but that was most impactful to me as far as like a strong female lead was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And she's in high school. So there is a lot to do with romance. I mean, Angel is a huge part of the entire franchise and it's his girlfriend or her boyfriend. I won't go into uh, how it's Joss Whedon who made that, but um, just to see this badass woman, this badass, she was a girl. She was in high school. She had a lot of things on her mind, but she had to kill Van. Like it was just a really cool thing to see uh, someone so strong but also so relatable. And I, I, I still love Buffy is such Jeff's kiss. Um, Sarah Michelle Geller is wonderful and played the role so well. 
I, well, should we move, move out of Marvel to other to just kind of broaden a little I, bit? Yeah, I guess I just Marvel threw movies? that my rando out there. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's great. I mean, let's look at somebody who's been around in media for at this point forty something years, and look at Ripley from the Alien series. Mm-hmm. And you know, she's the flight control officer the first time we meet her, and she's not the lead of the movies per se. But she becomes, you know, the you know last person standing basically, and then leads the rest of the the franchise after that. And we see her go from being kind of like you know your a lower your junior officer on the ship to the sole survivor to somebody that we're going to bring in as a consultant because we don't trust you. You know, we've 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 counted up how much your your actions cost us, and it's a lot. So we're not going to put you in jail, but we're not going to do you any favors either. And how she has to overcome situation after situation, not just with her job, not just with the people that she has to interact with, generally speaking, but just rising above that each time to do what needs to be done and, you know, save the day. And, you know, especially... the third movie where she's on the penal colony with nothing but guys and they're like well we can handle this and you know she's like you have no idea what you're about to face i can tell you they're just kind of like no 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 you just go over there and stay stay in your in your cell and blah 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 she's like all right i'm gonna be over here doing something else while you're doing that and i'll die because i know it's about to happen and it's not good and even in the fourth movie where it's a clone of that Ripley, the fact that she's wary of everything and everyone, but still the most capable person on the entire starship. You're just like, maybe at some point somebody would actually listen to, Hey, you fought these before. We should actually listen to what you're telling us because you, you understand it. But uh, Ripley was no, a great she's character. Just an emotional woman. She's just an emotional woman. <laughs> she's got to, she's got to go and save the, the kid from the boogeyman in the second movie. But, you know, and I think that when she, at the end of the movie, when she's going back to save Newt uh, from the, the mother of uh, the queen, and she's arming up for it, and it's everybody's like, oh, she's she's getting dressed. She's like, no, she's going tactical, because she realizes she's got to be able to move quickly. She's, she's taking what she needs for as precision strike on, I'm going in, I'm getting out with the kid. And she's just doing everything that she can to survive. And she's like, Nobody else is going to be able to do this. I've got to do it. Here we go. Mm-hmm. And didn't flinch from from doing it. Didn't like having to do it. I mean, she was like, I don't want to go back out there because I know what's out there and I don't like it. It's it's evil and scary and we'll all die. And it's, it's funny because I watched, you know, Aliens is one of my favorite rewatches. And I keep thinking, how short would this movie have been if they'd been like, so Ripley, you fought these before, before we hit the <laughs> ground, what do we need to do? And she goes, da, 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 da. And it's like, well, that's a 30 minute movie right there. And we're out. <laughs> and we don't get, you know, we don't get all of the scenes of her having to tell the senior military person, you always were an asshole, Gorman. And, and just, <laughs> just, you know, take charge from him. Cause he's like, I am checked out completely at this point. I, I cannot, I don't know what to do here. And her showing her leadership potential when she's like, okay, well, we're going to do this. You need to make sure that these things happen. And, you know, 
just doing everything there. And I think that, you know, Ripley is a great role model for proving, be, you know, be assertive with your power, be strong in your ability. You don't have to depend on somebody to just, to, you know, tell you what you can or can't do, or what is the wrong or the right way to do something, because it's their way to do it. You know, stand up for yourself. And she did that through all four of the movies. Whether anybody listened to her was an entirely different thing. But she was like, no, this is this is what we need to do. And again, had anybody listened to her, it would be like a four-hour, you know, four-show miniseries, not a four-movie <laughs> franchise. Not a four-movie. <laughs> so I, I think that, you know, that was really good. Looking at another character, and this one... <clears throat> I can see where this, some people could see this as problematic, but bear with me here. Um, Lara Croft. Mm. Now I realized that she, yep. she, she started as, as cheesecake for a lot of people with the, well, look, that's, those polygons look wrong. No, these are guys <laughs> who program this game, but the character, if you can get past the visual, the character is very independent, very strong, very self-assured and you know, doesn't need to wait for anybody's permission to do anything. Yeah, she's definitely, she's a play on the a female Indiana Jones type character. Yeah. And I think yeah. she pulled it off really well. I, I love Laura Croft. There's definitely some like male gazy stuff going on with it, but we kind of can't escape that. I, except I will throw out as a counterpart to the male gaze thing, the Birds of Prey movie, which I know wasn't the best movie. It, it was I a great it. movie. And the music is so good. The, oh, I listen to that album still. It's so good. But uh, I think it's in the Birds of Prey movie where Harley Quinn cuts off her hair. Because that's one of my biggest things, especially superhero action movies. When these girls are running around in push-up bras, first of all, like no support. And then hair down everywhere. And you're just like anti-heels. Like this is not conducive <laughs> to fighting crime. Stop this. Um, so yeah, no, Lara Croft is, is a great example. I mean, nobody's going to be perfect and the games are fun. Um, well, and I even remember like when the Angelina Jolie movies came out and I didn't, I, that was my first introduction to, to, to Lara too. Croft. Cause I didn't know that there was like video games of her. Maybe I heard at some point, but I, I, I don't remember, but either way, like I, I do remember seeing that first movie and like yeah it's not the best movie as far as but quality goes but i thought it was fun exactly and it was it was cool to see a woman playing that kind of role as well and so even like when the second movie came out with angelina jolie like i enjoyed that one as well Agil angelina jolie seems to walk that line really well of being like sex symbol but also action star mm -hmm. um i think she does that in like mr and mrs smith she plays that role really well as well <laughs> yeah and then wasn't she in the movie with uh james mcavoy where they're both spies and Which i can't one is that? i can't uh, think of the name the but tourist. It is a, yes the yeah. tourist no no I, no, no. Hey, look she, to was the she was in the tourist though wasn't she i don't think i've seen the tourist the tourist oh no that's with johnny depp the tourist is yeah Angeline Jolie and Johnny Depp. Wanted. That one was a good one. Yes, wanted. wanted. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember my husband drug me to see Mad Max Fury Road, and I was like, "This looks dumb," <laughs> and being blown away by Charlize Theron in it. Gary um, Osa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Oh, Furiosa is just one of the coolest characters that has ever been written for women. Her whole job is to save these, I mean, virtual, I mean, they're sex slaves who are having children for this gross man. And she doesn't care who she has to kill to do her job. I, I, I haven't seen any of the OG Fury Roads I've just seen. And I've been so sad that they haven't made any more like, because haven't they talked about doing sequels? With, they did. Not, not with Charlize, with uh, the male protagonist. Um, Bane. Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. There we go. It looks like Furiosa is scheduled for next year starring Anya Taylor-Joy. Okay, I like Anya oh, Taylor-Joy. Okay, I can see that. And it's just called Furiosa at this point. I'm okay with that. Furiosa is a great character. You know, there's there's three there's three ladies um, that I speaking of um, women who've played in movies who can be um, sexy and action stars. I from like from a young age was always excited about Charlie's Angels, mm-hmm. and like yeah, I know they're not. It's you know it's it's kind of quirky, it's fun, you know, and all that. But like again, like I. I especially like Drew Barrymore. Like growing up, she was one of my favorite actresses. I loved seeing her in anything. And so when she played in the Charlie's Angels movies with Cameron Diaz and Lucy Liu, I was like, this is amazing. I love this team up. And like, I loved those films because it was fun to see again, like, cause that's the whole thing about them, right? Those spies is that they're supposed to be, you know, sexy and suave and, and try to, you know, infiltrate into like these, organizations and be spies and all that but then also at the same time they can kick butt and i just i always i always um enjoyed those movies even when the um the next iterations came out as well i watched those but they're so oh my gosh uh, i don't know if i liked it as much (laughs) the new charlie's angels movie though i actually made me think i like kristen stewart more than i did from Mm. before and again i really liked i think in the movie she is supposed to be a queer character but she still uses her sexuality and her um that part of herself to get what she wants and like Mm -hmm. get it girl use that yeah for sure here for it yes i know it's it's always i i always was drawn to like those action films that showed women being spies um because again like you saw these like two different sides of them and you could see that like that again like even in action films like women can have range like they can do a lot i think a tv show that exemplifies that and it's one of my favorite shows is game of thrones i get teased a lot because cersei is my favorite character but to have this uh not mentally stable woman to be quite frank her only cause is to take care of her children and then her children all slowly die and then she just loses it and she doesn't care what she has to do to get the throne. She doesn't care what she has to do to get her children on the throne. And then she doesn't care what she has to do to get on the throne herself. And you see glimpses of humanity in her throughout the show. She's kind to Sansa, um, knowing that her son, uh, what what's his name? The evil, awful one. I'm like totally forgetting all sorts of names. She knows that he's being a. She's pretty much being abused by him, and she's like, "You just have to fight through it." And you, so you see glimpses of humanity, but she is a horrible character. But I just love and Lena Headey plays her Joffrey. Joffrey, Lena Headey plays her brilliantly. 
She's mm-hmm. gorgeous. Brienne of Tarth. Uh, Gwendolyn Christie has to be one of my favorite actresses of right now. She's gorgeous. She's tall. She doesn't necessarily have that womanly body type. And she's like owning herself. And it's something we all want to see. I, well, I especially I, seeing her in Wednesday. Like yeah. she, she did phenomenal in that. Well, one of the things, speaking of Wednesday, this is the perfect lead for that, lead in for that. Um, she did an interview, I believe in Variety, um, right after Wednesday came out, saying that the costumers and the designers for that series, for her character, uh, for the headmaster, uh, she said that was the first time that she had felt pretty in a role. And I'm just kind of like, wow. That's mm-hmm. the, you know, that's kind of something you think of, because you know you think of her in Game of Thrones, or you think of her mm-hmm. in even the Star Wars uh uh, sequel trilogy it's like yeah i can see why she doesn't have a lot to to do there yeah but the fact that she's like this is the first time i felt pretty it's like that's saying something but her character even in wednesday was very strong as the headmaster and i had questions about her going into the series just like um there's something not right about you you're keeping a few things just too secret and came to just appreciate her character as Mm -hmm. the as the season went on I think they said they modeled her character style after Tippi Hendren from The Birds. Okay, I can um, see that. Which is really interesting because that's not her like body type or style at all, but just the whole beauty glamour part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I I really can appreciate that they did that for her and that that's something that she's able to experience. I love that. Indeed. And then I named my daughter Arya after Arya Stark. So um, I don't think... I have to tell you how I feel about that character. <laughs> and when she kills the Night King, I'm just, I named her before the finale. And so I'm like, oh gosh, there's still a chance she could go bad or something bad. And then she goes, <laughs> yes, I did not do wrong. Well, if you're going to go into people we've named our daughters after, my daughter, my oldest daughter is named after a certain Themyscira princess. So if we're going to talk other strong female protagonists, here's one that we need that we can't leave out either: uh, Wonder Woman. And I think that I think that we actually have two things that I want to make sure I say about this. One, the first movie directed by Patty Jenkins showed a woman who was unaware of many things in man's world. You know, was kind of thrown into it and learned a lot on the fly, but I loved the way that they shot this movie. It had sensibility that I don't, that a male director would not have had. And I know this looking at the Diana and Victor Stone scene in Justice League. So if you look at how Wonder Woman was shot, it was shot, you know, these are women who are wearing, you know, a lot of skirts, a lot of um, short pants outfits on Themyscira. And everything was, you know, everything was shot in a tasteful manner, for lack of a better way of putting it. There's a scene in Justice League where Diana goes to confront Victor and like, we need your help. And the one of the first shots you get is an upshot from behind her that has her in the foreground and her, her, her backside, camera front, and then Victor back here. And I'm just kind of like... That was completely unnecessary. It added nothing to it. And then you find out, I believe Zack Snyder shot that scene. You're just like, oh, okay. That makes, <laughs> that makes sense. sense. That well, and when uh, 
I don't think has Themyscira ever really been in film the way that it was in Patty Jenkins Wonder Woman. No, and then, and even in the second movie. It and then to the find out that most of those women were Olympians, real athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had different body types. They had strong, fierce women. They had smaller women who are so muscular and strong. And they had like bulky women who are like power. So they had different body types across the board. And then uh, Robin Wright's character is just the epitome of like strong, powerful woman i was blown away by robin wright and she isn't she doesn't even have a huge role in the first wonder woman but she her role is i think it's understated because diana isn't trying to live up to her mother's example she's trying to live up to her aunt's example yeah so you get you do get that from robin wright's character because the tiara that diana wears isn't representative of the crown of themiscira it's antiope's crown interesting i didn't know that so it, i mean it's they're similar but it, it was her aunt's tiara, basically. So that's, you know, that's another thing. Um, but also you were asking about it, was Themyscira showing like that in the movies? So we get the Wonder Woman movie and we get the Justice League movie. And look at the differences in costuming for the Themyscirans in the first Wonder Woman movie and in Justice League when they're doing the giant battle scene with the Atlanteans and everybody as Darkseid and Steppenwolf have come to Earth. And they're in bikinis and bare midriff outfits it's just kind of like we can see that thought was, was given to this by a guy by, men. by a guy and it's just like we proved in the first movie that they can wear these outfits and battle armor and be covered like you would want to be in battle as opposed to hey look i got a giant target right here right shoot here and it's well, just like really guys that's your big move <laughs> I thought it was interesting, actually, in Empower when um, they were talking about the Dora, mm-hmm. Dora, Dora Milaje. I can never yeah. say. But um, it, Lupita Nyong'o actually is the one who's like, in the comics, they have more of a relationship with Black Panther as mm-hmm. she used the term pimps and hoes. Um, and she was, she was 100% correct. Originally. Yeah, and you can see how these female characters female strong empowered characters written by men they're like on this right path they they you can see you can see that they have like a a vision something that they want to portray but then they portray it in this way they portray the amazonian Mm -hmm. women scantily clad which is it's it's, just a little heartbreaking you're like i know you want to do good things but come come on well and it's 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 the practicality of it all like they even mentioned it in the captain marvel empower episode as well because early early iterations of captain marvel in the comics or even as she was ms marvel even at the time like she's wearing like these little black leotards and when they were like you know putting together the movie and everything um I can't remember if it was Brie Larson that was talking or it might have been like it might have even been like a costume designer I honestly I watched them all like right at the same time so it all is kind of blended together so I'm sorry if I'm getting names wrong I think but it was a costume designer okay thank you but they anyways I just liked what they said about how like because they even showed like in the um in the episode they showed the covers of the comics and I like mm-hmm. how they included that and then they talked about how like it's not practical to be wearing something like that when you're flying through space and so they're like we wanted to make a costume that made sense but Mm -hmm. also like 
was different enough because I mean she's still a superhero and we want her to like stand out and everything but it needs to still be like like practical, practical. well to be <laughs> honest the costume, sexy. the costume that they used for her in the movie and you're correct her early iteration uh the first was a blue and red and yellow costume similar to the male Captain Marvel since her powers were derived from his basically oh, yeah. but she again had the entire bare midriff uh, and it was a, effectively a bikini that connected on the sides was her first costume. Her later costume really as like black, like was a black bodysuit high, by high boots. Yeah. Um, but in 2014, when uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick took over the when they were reintroducing the character and mm-hmm. updating her, and Kelly Sue DeConnick uh, was the writer, Christopher Anka redesigned her costume to be more military looking because she was she was finally in the comics accepting the fact that she was taking on the mantle of Captain Marvel. Yes. And yes. and it was like everybody's like, you've earned it. You find you're finally taking the name. She's like, yeah, because it had taken her years in the comics to accept it that, that was her role now. So she took, you know, she took the mantle, she took a, she made her uniform look reminiscent of the old Marvel, but also kind of like her own stamp on it. Mm-hmm. And that's the that is the basis of the costume that they used in the movie. Well, and we can already see from the flash from the flash trailer, not even the movie, but <laughs> the the neck beards. I guess I shouldn't say that. The people who are already complaining that uh, Supergirl is not wearing a skirt. It's just, I get it. I I get that she is normally portrayed wearing a skirt, but it's 20, it's, it's 20, it's 2023. It's 20. Please let women wear pants. They can save the world in pants. I get, it's not the traditional. And they can still be recognized as a woman, even if they're not wearing a skirt. Like they can still be differentiated from, you know, like, because they're Superman and Superwoman and, and like, they can, and Supergirl. Yeah. And Supergirl, yeah. Well, what I meant to say, but, one yeah. of the things that they did in DC Comics in the ugh, mid 2000s, they kind of made an in comic reference to the fact that it's impractical to fight in a skirt uh, for Supergirl. And one of the ways that they kind of came, and it was the artist who's like, I hate drawing certain scenes because based on the angles that, that we're telling the story that we were trying to write, it's not a pro it's improper. Yeah. So one of the ways that they combated this in the, um, in the storyline was they gave her effectively biker shorts underneath her skirt as a, as a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. But then uh, the current version of Supergirl, they're actually doing an update by way of action comics. She has a, pantsuit much not too dissimilar than the one she had in supergirl woman of tomorrow so she has the the entire superman family is now wearing similarly themed uh pants and jackets and then like an under tunic beneath it but she has pants now wonder woman they've kind of they have not said whether she's wearing a anything under her skirt in her current iteration of her costume which for those who don't know looks very similar to this but it is impractical to draw these comics where, like, if you want to do a, so you're fighting, they're kicking, you want to do a forward-facing picture. You can't. Uh, you can't. Yeah. And it's not like if you put them in pants, 
they're not, it like takes away their sex appeal. They still have their chest hanging out. Like, I mean, or even, I, I, or tight, or tight skin clothing. Or tight skin yeah. clothing. I mean, we still have Power Girl for heaven's sakes. Um, so I, I it just, it, come on. I, you know what? I'm here for it for women wanting to feel sexy, but it's, I'm, I'm, it's men writing these women in this way where it's more important to have the aesthetic that they want than it is to have the practicality of being able to fight. Um, that is just revealed, disheartening. They've just redone, they've, in the most recent issue of, I think it was Action Comics, uh, they in, reintroduced Power Girl and they make no bones about the fact that she's kind of like the redheaded stepchild of the super family. She never gets invited to all of the events that everyone else is. Because and, she can't be around children in her costume. Anyways. Well, in her new costume, she also, apparently they've redone her costume so that it is a bodysuit, a full pants bodysuit with a jacket, but her her tunic does have the window. The tra traditional again. window. But she does have a jacket that can close over it now. Hmm. I and I don't want to take away I like I said women can wear whatever they want. I don't want to take that away. But it does make a difference when it's a woman writing about being empowered by the way they dress compared to a man. Men and, and the, yeah, writing their the new, fantasy. See, Marguerite Savage is the one who's who's drawing it. I can't I'm trying to see if I can find the writer of the the um the current stories are using her and I can't find the art, the author right now. So I apologize for that, but it is a female artist who I think kind of said, Hey, we need to change this up a bit for Get her girl. trying to think. I'm There's... excited to see how Supergirl does. in um, the flash, the flash, which is another movie that I don't know when I'm going to see. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's, that's a different podcast. Though. Actually, you guys already did that podcast. On the Flash, wasn't we, yeah. we talked about the we talked oh, about it a bit. Did yeah. DC oh, predictions. Talking, so yeah, if you want to go back a few episodes and listen to that, which had Robert and a couple other cool people on it, they touch on the Flash and they wouldn't let me be on it because I would have gone off. That's not true. That's, that's the exact reason we wouldn't let her be on it. So yes, she is right. That <laughs> I is politely why. excused myself from it because <laughs> oh I didn't want to just yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I do need to dip back into Marvel for a second. Yeah, because uh, there's another female protagonist that we have not covered, and there's two aspects of this character that I think are very worthy, and that's oh. Peggy Carter. Oh, I thought so, you were going to say someone else. Who did you think I was going to go with? She-Hulk. I thought I well, I have things about her uh, as well. We'll get into that. I want to talk about She-Hulk, so go ahead, go with Pe Peggy. But Peggy Carter, if you look at her in Captain America: First Avenger, she's part of the strategic reserve and she's part of the project that is trying to determine who's going to become Captain America and looking at her as a woman in the military in the forties. I think that Tommy Lee Jones's character, Colonel Phillips, I think that he did a good job in portraying the dislike that many men had for women in the military at that point, especially somebody who was in some level of authority and that he kind of rankled at the fact that she had any say in this decision. Um, and let alone the fact that she's choosing the scrawny guy as opposed to, you know, his toughest soldiers to, to be part of this project. 
And Peggy, throughout that movie and also throughout her uh, series on ABC, Agent Carter, showed herself to be, you know, a a strong woman who, you know, kind kind of rankled under male supervision because the males always treated her as I think that even in the first episode of her show, it's like, oh, so you're here to get coffee for us. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, I'm not. And, and <laughs> proceeds to go and be, you know, the complete badass that she was um, throughout that series. But we also have another version of, of Peggy that needs to come, that needs to be brought to mind. And that's the Captain Carter version of Peggy that we saw in What If, where Peggy becomes a super soldier instead of Steve. And she becomes, you know, the... I'm not sure if you have a call her the de facto leader of the what if Avengers, but she's very much take charge. She's very much assertive presence. And it's what we would have seen from Steve in that role, but it's Peggy and she owns it, you know, perfectly. And I think that that was a really fun twist in the character for Captain Carter was actually out of an X-Men derivative title, um, the exiles. And that was the, where she first appeared as a what if version of Captain America. And she became a fan favorite. And that's how we got her in what if. Well, and I like that we, we saw her briefly in um, Multiverse of Madness, too. Mm-hmm. And it was Haley Atwell, the same actress, who they got to, to come back and play. That was. And she also surprise. did the voice for, for Captain Carter in, in what, if? what If series. Yes. Yeah, I love Haley Atwell. Oh my gosh, I think she is just she is a gem. She is, but like, I think we should also, as you were mentioning, She Hulk. We should get get hey, to her as well. I so I was watching in Power, mm-hmm. and I'm like, there's something missing here, especially given like some of the more like recent, um, like yeah, okay, I know they they only featured really technically four main, um superheroes from marvel but and they kind of touched on a few others but like there was like zero mention of she hulk there was you see you saw her briefly i can't remember which episode it was but they like showed her super super briefly and you only saw like her legs they didn't even show her face they never like said her name like i just i thought that was really interesting especially where her show just came out which made me wonder when they when did they actually conduct all the interviews and everything for the empire series yeah. because they could have it could have been as far back as last year right after they wrapped with miss marvel that is true that is i i definitely thought about that as well but i don't know it just felt like it just or felt like it was missing was canceled before they made these so they didn't want to bring it i mean put her in the spotlight because right. they're not doing any more of her character which is a tragedy well, and, like, I could also see, too, like, the four characters they did choose to feature, they had a little bit more, like, they ha- they were in several films or several iterations, you know, and so they had, like, a little bit more to cover for each of these, whereas She-Hulk just has her just one series, and they're not continuing with it, whereas the other ones, you know, I think we're going to see more of these people um, in different in different lights in different shows and everything so maybe they just they kind of just had to narrow it down to the people that are still kind of active in the mcu per se i don't know but i just i given like everything that happened in she hulk and how that story was written um i just i feel like it could have fit in with empower no it could have and it looks like this from production notes i'm seeing here this was 2021 
Oh. So it does predate the series. Yeah. Even Ms. Marvel. Well, it depends on... I think that Ms. Marvel had been shot by that point. Oh. It would have been in post. It just wasn't really, yeah. Because the casting call for, because they did a casting call for fans of Marvel strong women to be part of an un, upcoming unscripted Disney, Disney Plus documentary series entitled Superwomen of the MCU. But, so this is June 2021 when the casting call went out. So you figure that they would have wrapped everything the fall of 2021, early 2022, right before oh. Miss Marvel came out. So I can see then why She-Hulk might not have been added, but I think that it would have been a good add. Um, I think we could have also seen other characters like Misty Knight, you know, but they would then have oh, to acknowledge yeah. the fact that the Netflix series existed, despite the fact that we're getting Daredevil and Punisher. So Misty Knight was the detective um, seen in Luke Cage from the NYPD. Oh, I didn't um, finish Luke Cage. Sorry. Well, I guess we're done. Sorry, here. I'm no, sorry. No, but the character Misty Knight, um, she, oh. I mean, she's she is one of the oldest black female characters in the Marvel comic universe who's been around as more than just a secondary character. She actually predates Storm of the X-Men in oh, that. Oh, wow in that by like a month or two months. Um, so she was early 1975. Misty has also been the lead or co-lead of at least three series, if I'm not mistaken, uh, where she's gone from being uh, a supporting character to having her own role as uh, the head of Heroes for Hire after Luke Cage and Danny Rand stopped using that for their company. Um, and then also there was a title that came out in... Shoot, I want to say it was 2012 or 2014 called Fearless Defenders, where she led a group of all-female uh, heroines in a, I think it was a 12-issue series before it got canceled. But, you know, Misty Knight is a, another fine example of a strong female protagonist. Mm -hmm. It was good to see her appear in um, the Netflix series. You know, I would have loved to have seen them mention more like her or even Jessica Jones. Mm -hmm. But since those are kind of like multiverse characters that we don't talk about so much, right. or even, you know, for one of my favorites, Melinda, Melinda May from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, yeah. But then they would have to, again, you know, so they it's over to... here. We did a thing, right. but we're just leaving it out they there They didn't now. even do Black Widow, though. No. Natasha Romanov. So that's kind of interesting, too. But again, maybe it's just or her sister, whatever. Yeah. But we haven't um, had enough. Yeah. There's been Yelena. enough of Yelena yet to really to flesh out there. We got to see Yelena as a kid, then we got to see her as uh, we got to see her in Hawkeye, but not okay. a lot of background with her. Like what happened in the years between mm -hmm. when we saw her as a child and when she became a Black Widow, her right? First Black Widow. So they so even just like with Natasha Romanoff, like. Again, like her story is done as well. So maybe they just didn't want to focus on that, which is too bad because I think Scarlett Johansson being a part of like this documentary could have been a lot of fun. Yeah. And, you know, let's face it, there's not a ton of women in the MCU, just generally speaking. I mean, you get, you get Black Widow, you've got Scarlet Witch, you've got... Um... Well, and we got all the ladies from Eternals too. Also true. But I mean, we don't talk about Eternals. <laughs> um, I like Eternals. I enjoy Eternals. I like Eternals, Eternals. I like too. 
I want to see where the story is going, but I think that yeah. they it's still maybe a little bit too open ended at this point for them to say, look at what we've done, despite the fact that it was also the best representation that Marvel has done with women mm-hmm. in one thing. I mean, because you had you had, let's see, white, Asian, African American, you did not have a Pacific Islander woman character in this movie. You did not have a Native American. But you also had a deaf woman in a role, and granted, it was a smaller role in this movie. Um, and they could have done more, yes. But I think that their representation for that, having just actually, since they had just done Shang-Chi before that, where they had a lot of Asian representation and Michelle Yeoh again, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, bringing her back in. She's been yeah. very hot right now. Oh, yeah. I forgot she was in Shang-Chi. Yeah. And so we have that. So I can say that, I can see where they might have been like, you know, we've already got 10 characters we're introducing, plus a bad guy, plus other, plus two other people we've got to use further down the road. So like 13 characters you got to introduce over a two and a half hour movie. What's the next standalone Marvel movie coming out? I believe it Guardians is of the Galaxy, Guardians. Volume. What about like single superhero movie? Oh, so not a sequel, you mean? Or yeah, not a ensemble, I guess. Uh, it uh, is. What comes out later this year? See, the Moon Marvels, Girl and Devil I Dinosaur is already out. Oh, the yeah. Marvels. The Marvels comes but, out. The Marvels, but I mean, do you consider that an ensemble? Well, it's just kind of interesting to me. And maybe the Mar- the Marvels might t- prove me wrong with this one. But it just seems like their big characters are going, are their Captain Americas, their uh, Iron Man, their, I mean, even Ant Man. Their Trinity, know. basically. Yeah, they include. I, and they're trying, they keep more of these female characters or these more diverse characters. I'm thinking like Falcon Winter Soldier, although they're supposed to be Falcon movie, correct? That, uh, Cap- it's Captain America movie. Captain the America New, New World Order. New but World they're Order. keeping some of more of these diverse, not as big I, I, as TV shows instead of making them mainstream movies. I mean, I'm thinking of Riri right now, which mm-hmm. is going to yeah. be a TV show. Um, I guess the Marvels, again, I guess kind of proving me wrong. Devil Dinosaur, though, and Moon Girl is... It's delightful. Adorable. I love it. <laughs> if you've not watched it, it is so much fun. It is the smartest person in the MCU, and she's 13. And, and she has a giant dinosaur fighting Giant her. dinosaur. It's so... Oh, my gosh. Where and can the, you watch that? It's on Disney+. Plus. Oh, uh, I think it's six, six or eight episodes. Yeah. Well, and it's just I've... fun. I've, I've been watching it with my girls, and they have enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it because I didn't take to the character immediately when she came out in comics. She's kind of grown on me over time, but I, I have, I've loved the series. The, the animation style is fun. The, the writing is good and punchy and she's a teenager and they write her like a teenager. Now I'll give Marvel credit for some of their animation uh, in depicting teenagers has been good. Uh, If you look at their, Secret Warriors, a cartoon series that came out, probably been during phase two or phase three of the MCU, and it's not MCU attached, but it's a bunch of, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. is training junior superheroes at this point, and it's, you know, effectively the sidekick character, so it's Miss Marvel, Ghost Spider, Squirrel Girl, Patriot, Inferno, and a missing the sixth one, and that bothers me, but they do eventually wind up meeting Shuri, 
and you know introducing her they introduce Ironheart in one. Oh, I love that um and there are six i think each of the seasons is only six episodes long uh but there are complete story arcs within that season and there's like through lines that carry over throughout the different seasons but it's fun it's light i think those are rated i want to say they're y7 if i'm not mistaken okay. they may be they may be y14 so don't quote me on y7 <laughs> but i mean they are you know my girls watched them when they were like between eight and ten and i did there was nothing there's no nothing in there content wise that i was just like you can't see this <laughs> so they're they're fun so you know also in you get to see strong female characters oh my america chavez she was the other character oh, in, yeah. we in about uh, secret warriors um and she was and they were written as coming into their own not they they weren't quite fully vested superheroes so there's still a little bit of hesitation and deferring to to older to adults but they're coming into their own and they're and they're realizing we can do this we are capable of this both the male and the female characters so i do recommend if you can find secret warriors which should probably be on disney plus as well check that out too i'll also shoot out on that uh line dc superhero girls is super oh, fun yes Yes. Um, and if you ever, if they ever have Shea Fontana back um, at FanX, please meet her. She is fantastic. Um, we got to meet her a few years back. And there are, my girls were also dressed up as Katana and Bumblebee from oh, that. I love Bumblebee so much. <laughs> so so it, was, it was fun to get to meet her. And, and Shay was delightful with them when we got to we went to go get some comics signed by her. And then also not for your children, but a great animated series, Harley Quinn. Yes. Definitely <laughs> oh not for gosh. your kids. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> and as much as I would love to keep talking about this, I feel like it might be time to wrap it up. Indeed. Should we uh, all name one more of our favorite female leads as a way to end it? Oh, oh wow. Yes. Are you talking about from Marvel or just in I don't, general? Just anyone that we have not mentioned yet. Can I name two? I don't know. No. Yes, of, of course you can. Okay, I'm going to go. Yeah. I'm going to go with Black Canary. Love Black Canary. And Batgirl from DC. And, and Batgirl, actually, I might change that to Oracle because I think the Oracle story is better than going from Batgirl to Oracle back to Batgirl. I like the bar, the way that they've handled handled Barbara pushing through the adversity and getting shot in the spine by the Joker in the killing joke and her going, I'm not done and becoming the central point of data for the DC universe for all the superheroes who have questions. This is who they go to. And she's like, I am useful to everybody here. And I think that, you know, Oracle is a great example of that just because you know, you have a disability does not mean that you cannot be just as useful and vital to the world as a fully able-bodied person. I love that. Um, I thought of one. Hopefully one day she we Hulk? get a Batgirl movie because I would love to see Barbara. The person I thought of is uh, Mary Jane Watson, mm. but not just any Mary Jane. Mary Jane from the um, Marvel Spider-Man for the PlayStation, because we finally got to see a Mary Jane version that wasn't just 
Spider-Man's love interest who he has to go and save because Green Goblin plucked her off a building. You know, so it, it showed a different side of Mary Jane where she is like an investigative journalist and she's capable and she like helps him and like to uncover like what's going on. And she's like, she's a partner with him, not just a, um, like a sidekick or someone that just needs to be saved. Bless you, Farley. You're going to make me have to name a third person now. Who is it? Lois Lane. Ah, yeah. And yeah, I think Lois. that Lois... Lois, in many forms, has been shortchanged as just being Superman's girlfriend right. when she is not only a astonishingly capable reporter, although she is a horrible speller, <laughs> but she is also an award-winning uh, author as well. And, you know, she was a she was fine before Superman came along. And I think that her notoriety went up because she was throwing herself off buildings to get a story. Um, I think that one of the most interesting takes you can find on Lois Lane is in the 1986 Man of Steel number two, where uh, Superman first meets, I'm sorry, where Lois is trying to get an interview with Superman after he appears in Metropolis and all of the things that she does to get the story. And she's tenacious to say the least. But I think that even even for mid '80s writing, I think that they did a great job of of fleshing her out as dedicated to doing the job, getting it right, and you know coming back with the story. And I think that they've done a good job of writing her in uh, what is the show called now? Superman and Lois on the CW. Not I'll Lois and Clark. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I actually enjoyed Lois and Clark back in the day. I don't know that it's aged all that well. Yeah. I watched but... <laughs> it a little bit back in the day, but I, uh... I've, I've tried watching a couple of episodes here and there. It's like, Oh, it, okay. It's a little dated, but for <laughs> Superman and Lois, I mean, they've done a fantastic job and uh, Bitsy Tullock does a great job of bringing that Lois to the screen. Mine for very briefly, I want to talk like uh, the legend of Korra. Um yes. I didn't watch Avatar till the pandemic, and now I love it. I want to get an Appa tattoo. It, they have such great characters, female and male characters, but they have really strong, great female characters in both Avatar, The Last Airbender, and The Adventures, or not The Adventures of Korra, The Legend of Korra. And then just a little sneak peek for next week's episode as well. Bella Ramsey as Ellie in The Last of Us. Please Ellie is such a strong, interesting, intense character. I am so jazzed for who they get to play and how they're going to do season two based oh off gosh, of part yes. two. And Abby and Ellie just, uh, Abby is such a strong, harsh uh, character. and uh, But they, they both bring such humanity. Uh, so yeah, Bella Ramsey brings such humanity to the character of Ellie. And mm -hmm. that's been the biggest takeaway that the scariest part of a zombie apocalypse are the people who are going to hurt you. Um, yeah, for sure. And the way that she's portrayed, I'm such a broken person in the series has been, they're going to be, I feel like it's showing that they're going to be a great actor in this time. Like it, Oh they, yeah, they've had so much depth in their this character, and Ellie is such a complex character. So oh yeah, um, especially knowing 
knowing what happens in the video game of part two and what's to come <laughs> for how they how they showed her in the HBO series. Oh boy, I I'm like already emotional thinking about it because it's just so good and it's just yeah, like Steph said, we we've had like on our cutscenes and cupcakes podcast, we have had so many conversations about Abby and Ellie. Like it's oh so many, but we'll we'll get into more of Ellie. Yes, like Steph said, and she teased next week when we do our recap of the Last of Us series on from HBO. Um, so yeah, I think I think this this has been such a good discussion. I've learned a lot from both of you guys, honestly. So I'm really I'm glad that we got to discuss um, about these episodes, these Empower episodes, as well as just women in action films and different roles. So yeah, thanks thanks everyone for for listening. What are you gonna say, Steph? No, I was just going to say we could talk about it for hours, probably. So I think so. We have so to have many, a cutoff somewhere. There's so many different characters that, like, as we already kind of mentioned, there's so many different ones that we're not even, like, touched on in these Empower. Maybe they'll make more episodes. I don't know. I, I could see them doing one on Kate Bishop at some point, you know? Like, we just, we don't know. So I hope they make more, because that would be that would be a lot of fun. Just to keep, so. keep going. I would also be interested to see what some of the listeners and viewers think of for uh, sorry for strong female protagonists. Who are some of the characters that they have through whether it's television, film, games, stage, even? Who are some of these strong female protagonists mm-hmm. that speak to you, and what have they meant to you? Yeah, definitely. You you can find us on all the social media. Age of Geek. We're on Instagram and Facebook. And we also have a Discord that you are welcome to join. Um, join it's, us. It's discord.ageofgeek.com. That will take you right to the link, the invite, and you can, it's all geeks are welcome. So link in thanks, the show notes. Yes. Thanks everyone who lis- uh, who listened to this episode all the way to the end. We really appreciate <laughs> you. And we'll talk to you guys next time. So thanks. Bye. This has been an Age of Geek media production. 